good morning again. That's time. Uh, it's time to pray for God's blessing for our spiritual feast. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, giving us your Son, your Spirit, your Word. And now this morning, you have received our praise. Now we, praise, uh, we pray that you will uh, unpack your Word. And uh, in this very important book about sanctification, a Christian discipline which most church ignored. We pray that you unpack your word, let your uh, spiritual meaning of the word shine to our soul, satisfy our needs, and transform us. And through us, we pray to transform the church and the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Part 16, 1 Corinthians. Okay. The issue of spiritual gifts, the need for differentiating ministries, uh, or we could use another title, the peace between people who have different spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. Okay. Uh, we are dealing with the issue of sanctification, which is a cooperative work between man and God, right? All other works of salvation are just works of God alone. The election was done God the Father. Uh, the uh, the predestination was done by God the Father. Um, the redemption was done God the Son. The calling was done by the Holy Spirit, right? So those are the three persons have done all the pre preliminary works. And justification is when we believe in the gospel and we are saved. Spiritually, our spirit is what? Regenerated, right? And then our soul is being sanctified. This is called sanctification during the rest of our life. And finally, our body will be resurrected or glorified, right? So our spiritual life, according to our experience, starts from justification, which is our spirit being saved. Then it ends with our body being saved, glorification. But in the middle, there's something, is our soul being transformed, okay? Spirit, soul, body, right? Three steps, okay? And then all the others are just works of God alone with the sanctification is a cooperative work. That's why we need to work on this. The church, most of the work of the church is for the sanctification of believers. Okay. Of course, evangelism, calling the non-believers to come in, the family of God is an important part. But what after that? You know, that is something that the church really should major in. But unfortunately, most churches kind of neglect it, especially the evangelicals, because we preach the gospel, we want people to believe and be saved. That's the most important thing. Yes, but they ignore what happens after. What should I do now, now that I'm saved? Okay, so this is uh, sanctification. And Jesus Christ already gave us the way of sanctification that God designed, how he makes a new humanity. The um, the we're, we have spirit, soul, and body. Our soul have five faculties, right? As Jesus says, you shall love the Lord with your God with all of your mind, heart, will, and strength, right? And, and, and soul. He said the soul is the deepest part of conscience. So going around our soul, um, God gave us a first round sweeping to give us a new life. And the second round to take away the old life. That's how we become pure gold at the end. Okay? So... We follow the steps, the eight life sessions of Beatitudes. We will be there. Okay? And then it, it was, it, it, um, the Beatitudes, I found out, it's a 
it's a series of principles that covers both testaments. It starts from the life of Abraham and Isaac, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Romans, the application part, 12 to 15, and it's in 1 Corinthians, the whole book. And then all of Paul's letters, if you put them chronologically, they, they go according to the eight steps. So what does that tell us? That means the first generation Christian church went through the eight steps, and Paul wrote according to their need. Of course, these letters chronologically will fit that pattern. Okay, And then in the first Corinthians, you have eight kinds of people because you have people at different stages. right? So you have all eight kinds of people, and Paul wrote them out linearly. That means he was conscious to him of this correspondence. Now, I'm really sorry that the church lost this track. And that's now work. Let's now work in restoring. Okay. The book of 1 Corinthians set, is set on the tone that the church in Corinth was a genuine church saved by faith in Jesus Christ, even though they have problems. But uh, the problems are issues of fellowship, not relationship. Okay, of the, they are sanctification, not salvation. Okay, so based on that, uh, Paul dealt with their series of problems according to the order of the Beatitudes. Number one, the problem of pride is the lack of knowing that they are poor in spirit. The issue of um, trigger happy, I mean, tolerance of sin is the lack of mourning for sin, and the, the trigger happy being trigger happy in litigation is the lack of meekness and. Uh, um, they have serious issues with sexual purity. That's about the hunger and thirst for righteousness. And uh, and then the next group is about mercy. Mercy um, is uh, thinking about the weaker brothers. Okay. And then there's next issue is about purity of heart. Two related things. One is about the payment for service. You have the right. You don't have to use it unless it's good for others. And then the issue of holy meal versus eating, simply eating meat that you don't know what it's from. Okay, so one issue is black and white, one issue is a gray area. So to, now we are dealing with the seventh issue, uh, dealing with peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. Why so? With God, all right. God is the peacemaker. He has made it his personal ministry of reconciliation with men, right? It's his personal ministration. So what in the ancient time do the sons do in, in terms of profession? They do their father's profession, right? If father is a cobbler, the son is a cobbler, right? Usually. So if, the, if God the father is a peacemaker and you are a peacemaker, what do people think of you? You're a son of God. Because you're doing his profession, okay, his job, okay. So blessed are peacemakers. Oh, uh, and then, what kind of peace are we trying to reach? Well, within the church, between what? Between every different kind of categories. The first one Paul mentioned was in chapter eleven about peace between men and women. Okay. The second issue is the the peace between the rich and the poor. Don't we always have that kind of division in the church? Difference, not as a division. There's difference. It doesn't have to be division, right? We always always have man and woman. We always have poorer and richer people. And uh, so today, after dealing with that, today we're dealing with people who have different spiritual gifts. Do some people who have spiritual gifts get proud? Oh yeah. <laughs> Pride is a general issue. Christians should not 
You know, should, should have less of that issue, but we do. <laughs> and spiritual gifts give some people reason to be proud. You know, I'm better than you because I have this and you don't. You know, that kind of attitude. That is what is robbing the church of peace. Okay. And especially churches that have rich spiritual gifts. And that blessing can turn up to be a curse because they get more reason to be proud if they're not spiritually mature. Okay? Today, in the universal church, what is the big division? The charismatic versus the non-charismatic. Okay? The charismatic think we have miraculous spiritual gifts, and you, evangelicals, you have the word, you don't have the miraculous. You have the natural, you don't have the supernatural. So they're proud. Well, the evangelical who says, we focus on the word, we have the reason, and you are unreasonable. So each is proud <laughs> against the other, but butting heads. Okay. So do you think this passage applicable to today? Yeah. Okay. All right. So verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaks by the Spirit of God, says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So most of the people in Church of Corinth were pagans before. Okay? When they were pagans, uh, now they are Christians. Okay? But when they were pagans, many of them have followed the prophets of prophetess. Um, you know, um, for example, have you heard about Delphi, the 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 Pythia, um, and which are the prop who are the prophetesses of uh, Apollo? Okay, what they do is they smell certain gas coming from the ground, and once they smell it, they get delirious and they start to speak in languages, not tongues, but in Greek and but short uh, pithic sayings that prophesize about future. If you know about, uh, if you have read uh, Herodotus, so-called father of history, he has a, a two chapters related to biblical history, but uh, Cyrus the Great, okay? His history has something to do with the, the Pythia, okay? And they predicted the future accurately. Although, because it's short, it's vague, it's often misunderstood. But when you think about it later, you say, oh, actually, he was right. Okay? For example, the, the, the king of... Uh, uh, Lydia, uh, he wants to invade uh, Persia, and he went to uh, Delphi. He asked, can I invade Persia? Uh, and uh, the Tepetia says, you can, you will destroy an ancient civilization. He invaded, he lost. His civilization is the one that got destroyed. <laughs> okay, so it was true, but vague. And um, in other words, if you can predict the future accurately, somewhat, does that make you necessarily a prophet of God? No, even the demons know something about the future, right? Okay, so uh, the, the pagan, when, when as pagans, um, people followed these priests and prophets who have spiritual gifts, they can predict the future to a certain extent. Because the demons and Satan know a little more about spiritual world than we do. 
Okay. However, they don't know it all. They are not almighty. Okay. And um, that doesn't prove they are from God. Okay. So what is the criteria that sets people as from God, from the Holy Spirit? This gifts are from the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. Okay. He's saying on two sides. One is that no one who has the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is accursed. You know, how did the church and the Jews got separated? Because at the end of the first century, the Jews put a curse in their common prayer on Jesus. Okay, Whenever they gather, now everybody has to say, cursed is Jesus the Nazarene. Well, the Christian Jews, can they attend such a synagogue? From then on, they couldn't, right? See, they used to attend and they tell the gospel. But once they put that cursing there, they separate. Okay. So there was the Jews and the Nazarene church, which is the Jewish Christian. And then you have the rest of the Maniac church. So those who curse Jesus, do they have the Holy Spirit? No, they don't. Okay. And if you um, don't have the Holy Spirit, if actually, if you have the evil spirit, if you don't have the evil spirit, just a human, you may say, you know, not knowing anything. But if you have an evil spirit, can you say that Jesus is the Lord? Neither. They cannot say. The evil spirit just cannot say that. Because they have this inherent evil and rebellious rebellion, they just cannot say Jesus is the Lord. Okay. So we know that the pagan gods are mute and uh, mute idols. Yet the pagan prophets have spiritual gifts, speaking from the demons behind the idols. Christians who have the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, speak for the Holy Spirit, whose key message is Jesus is the Lord. That means he is the eternal God, because the Lord, Adonai in Hebrew, is actually what they impose on the word Yahweh, okay, which they do not know how to pronounce, they just put the sound, the, the vowels of Adonai over the Y-H-W-H and they call it Adonai. But it really, probably it was pronounced Yahweh, which is related to Ich-I, to be. So that means God is the I am. He was, is, and always is. Okay. So the eternal God is, is what Yahweh, actually, or Jehovah, should be properly uh, translated. So when you say Jesus is the Lord, it means both he is the eternal God and he is the Lord and Master. Evil spirits just cannot say that. Okay. So if somebody can say Jesus is the Lord, at least he doesn't have the evil spirit. Okay. And uh, if somebody is saying Jesus uh, who is a curse, then he definitely doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay. This is the criteria. So what is the key message of the Holy Spirit? That Jesus is Lord. That's the key message. Okay. And later it was added on another criterion that Jesus is God in the flesh. Okay. Um, because um, I think it was um, Gnosticism that says that you know he's just a spirit, he's not in body. Okay. Um, there are diversities of gifts, but they are for a common good. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
There is diversity in Christian spiritual gifts, no doubt about it. They are from the same source, that is the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the same Lord, that is Jesus Christ. The diversity of the gifts with the unity of key message reflects the Trinitarian mystery in the true Godhead, that is, the equality of persons and the difference in role. Didn't we mention this while we're talking about the peace between the sexes, men and women? Okay. Man and woman in the family, as husband and wife, we are equal in position but different in roles, right? The same applies to Christ and the church. Christ is the head of man in the church, and God is the head of Christ in the Godhead. So in three levels, there are three headship, God, Christ, Christ, man, man, woman, okay? In the three contexts, Godhead, church, and then family. Okay. And uh, if you reflect, you live your life with a balance of these two sides of the principle, the equality in position and differing roles, then you can have a peaceful, harmonious life. Because that's what God is. Okay, The ultimate existence, God, having this balance. Okay, So this mystery exists only in two of the three institutions that God made. God created family in the beginning. Right, Adam and Eve. He created states after the flood. Right, so government is necessary, and then he also created church after Christ. Okay, the family and the church is where are where the um, the, the mystery applies, and then the state is where man and woman are actually actually they can be equal. You can have king and queen; they're equally legitimate. Okay, but in those family and church, this difference exists. And uh, uh, that is a balance of these two sides of the principles. And that ultimately goes to the, uh, the existence, uh, the being of God. And uh, this issue of spiritual gifts reflects the same uh, issue, uh, same principles, or same balance. Okay? Uh, people with different gifts, we are equal in position but different in roles. In other words, each of us is designed for a certain ministry. Just find your gift and serve in your ministry. Don't look down upon others who have different gifts and calling. Um, let's see. It, the, the diversity of the spiritual gifts are meant for the common good, that is service to God and edification for each other, of each other. Now, uh, the diversity is for mutual ministry in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles. And to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Paul now gives us a series of pairs of spiritual gifts with one singleton. Now the miracle is a singleton. Everything else are pairs. Okay? And uh, he gave us this list um, because this, these pairs are linked to each other, one applying and another, or service and uh, that 
servicing each other. They are all gifts from the one Holy Spirit who gives by his own sovereign will and for his pleasure. In other words, do we have a right to demand from the Holy Spirit, say, I want the same gift you give to him? No, we don't have such rights because the gifting is according to the pleasure of the Holy Spirit. He's sovereign. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God. He's sovereign. Okay, you can't demand it. Whatever he pleases, he does it. You have your yours, he has his. Enjoy it. Find your own and use your own. Okay, and so that's the point. Um the, okay, then let's go to the next part. Uh analyzing these uh uh, pairs. Okay, uh, the word of wisdom is a spiritual gift about how to use the knowledge with the best efficiency for the best result. The word of knowledge is a spiritual gift that provides the facts and knowledge that could be used by the former. For example, who have the word of knowledge? I would think those who are very knowledgeable, those who know the Bible back and forth, or those who can make dictionaries. You know. Bible encyclopedia, those guys have the word of knowledge. Okay. But what is the word of wisdom? And that belongs to the, the spiritual mature brothers who can give a word of counsel, wisdom, direction. What should you do in this situation? Okay. Pastors, counselors, they're supposed to have this kind of wisdom. And the gift of faith has the trust in God's power and goodness and provides direction and leadership in ministry. These people have visions, they have directions, they, they provide leadership, they kind of lead away, and others, if you join with him, and then we have a ministry, have a direction to go. This is faith, a gift of faith. Okay? And uh, the gift of healing uses faith. It's a kind of gift of faith, but it uses it only in one special area, that is physical healing. The purpose is to attract people to the faith in Christ. Healing is not the end uh, goal. It is the stepping stone to faith, to true faith. Okay? But does healing guarantee that people who are healed would necessarily have faith? No. Some people who are healed, they don't have faith. Maybe, or maybe they have temporary faith and finally fade away. Okay? So it is a, a necessity in certain time, but it's not sufficient. All the time, okay. But that is a kind of faith, a gift of faith used in physical healing, and the, the gift of miracles can be associated to the previous one. That's the gift of healing. For heal, uh, healing is only one kind of miracles, and there are more. And the gift of miracles can also be associated with the later one. That's called the gift of prophecy, because um, the former, the gift of miracles, provides um, visible evidence that God is real. While the latter, the gift of prophecy, provides evidence that God is sovereign over the invisible. Okay, so they are associated. The, the singleton, the gift of miracles, is can be associated with the one previous and after. But the real pair is the gift of prophecy with the gift of distinguishing spirits. The gift of prophecy is either foretelling of what God will do in the future, that's predicting, or foretelling of what God already said in the scripture that is preaching. Okay, both of these are called prophecy. Okay. Predicting future is only one kind. Okay, foretelling. Okay, that's foretelling. This is foretelling. Foretelling is explaining and preaching the what God already said uh, in the Bible. That includes the end time prophecy. Okay, 
that is another kind of prophecy. So the gift of distinguishing spirits can uh, make sure that the one who is doing prophecy is sourced from the Holy Spirit, not the evil spirits. It assists the gift of prophecy and the office of New Testament prophets who speaks New Testament message before the New Testament book was written. So what are the Old Testament prophets? You know what? They are people who are outside of the system. What are the static, status quo, the system in the Old Testament? You have civil leaders, that's judges and kings. You have religious leaders, that's the priests and Levites. Okay? That's the system. Usually when they are working properly, God does not send prophets. But when both of them are corrupt, God sends a prophet. Okay. So what is the most um, prominent role of the prophet? He's one who criticizes. Okay. He criticizes civil leaders and, uh, and the religious leaders, are both being corrupt. So that's why prophets are always hated. Think about it. They come here to criticize okay. and to judge. And that's their calling. Okay. So Jesus didn't say don't judge at all. He says you don't judge others unless you have judged yourself by the same standard. So Christians do judge what's right and wrong. Okay. You just need to judge yourself first. Okay. So the prophets, their most prominent role in the Old Testament is to criticize, to judge. So if there are actually writing and non-writing prophets, the non-writing prophets like Elijah and Elisha, their ministry is for their own generation. But when the hope of reforming the current generation is gone, they are hopeless. What does God? What do God? Uh, what does God send? The writing prophets. Who do they write for? For their generation or later one? For the later generation. Okay. So if you read the writing prophets in the Bible, most of them are criticizing, and then they give a little prophecy. Okay. Number one is judgment. Since you're corrupt, God will judge you. Number two is after the judgment, there is hope because God is good and faithful. So that is prophets. Okay. Old, that's Old Testament prophets. New Testament prophets is different. Okay. New Testament prophets are those people during the first century who will preach a New Testament message before there is a New Testament book. So where do they get their message? From the Holy Spirit. So New Testament prophets are those people who, when there's a church gathering, they will stand up. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll preach a New Testament message. Like salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, and through Christ alone. Okay, That's a New Testament message. And then the people who are gifted with distinguishing the spirits, they will validate. Yes, this brother is speaking from the Holy Spirit, not evil spirit. You see, they work in cooperation to make sure the service is done by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So those ministries are done in tandem. I guess they, they work for each other. And those gifts are mostly bef uh, richly given before the New Testament book was written. And after it was written and popularized, then these gifts gradually just reduce in numbers. Okay. Uh, it's not that they don't necessarily exist at all, but we know statistically they have less than numbers because they have the book. Now, the gift of speaking in tongues. 
is telling the gospel message in a language that the speaker never learned, but is the hometown dialect of someone in the audience. This is a situation in Acts 2, at the Pente first Pentecost in AD 33. Okay. At that time, lots of Jews from around the world who grew up in foreign countries, okay, they come to worship God in this feast of Passover and unleavened bread. And uh, 120 disciples of Jesus stood in a temple, and all of them suddenly have a tongues of fire on their head. So that's where the tongue actually means. It's not about language. It's about the tongues of fire. That means they are now the new menorah, the new lampstand, the new presence and home of the Holy Spirit. So what have the kingdom of God turned into from the visible kingdom in Israel now into the spiritual kingdom of the church? Okay. Where is the Holy Spirit dwelling now? In the body of Believers, true believers, born-again believers, the Holy Spirit uh, of, of, of Jesus Christ, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in our innermost being, which is our spirit. He regenerates it, and then he dwells within. And we all are connected by the same Holy Spirit. Okay. So um, when the 120 disciples of, of uh, Jesus, having the tongues of fire over their head, and there's a wind that re re represents the Holy Spirit, because breath, wind, and Spirit is the same word in Hebrew, okay, and uh, and then they spoke in languages of someone in the uh, home, uh, someone's hometown dialect, because these people they are Jews. They may speak Hebrew, they may speak Aramaic, probably not, but they spoke Greek. But in where they grow up, they also speak local dialect, which these 120 disciples from Galilee they could not have learned. But they spoke in those people's hometown language, and they spoke about the great acts of God. What does that mean? Jesus Christ, his birth, his miracles, his death, and his resurrection. That's the great acts of God. In other words, they were preaching the gospel in a language they did not learn, but the Holy Spirit let them be able to speak. So once they have that ability of speaking someone else, hometown language, do they always have that ability? I think they do. They always have that. They just don't have the situation forever. There are some times that they don't have people who know that language, but they still want to speak in that. That's what Paul is dealing with here in, the, in Corinth. Some people who have this ability of speaking other, lang other people's language. They may have preached the gospel in that language before, but now the situation is different. They don't have people in the audience that know, know that, so they should not speak that. That's Paul's deal. Okay. So it's an abuse of the gift. Okay. So the, the, the speaking in tongues is not a gibberish. It's not so-called angel's language. It is some other human's language. Okay. Hometown dialect. Okay. Someone in the audience know about it. Okay. That's the right situation of using this gift publicly. Okay. And then what if there's nobody in the, uh, you know, in, in, in the audience who knows that language? Well, if you have people who can interpret the tongue. Okay? So the gift of interpreting tongues is translating the tongues to intelligent messages. It could be natural ability or supernatural ability. You suddenly get that ability. Okay? 
So these two are paired together, okay? They're serving each other. Now, Paul is saying, the body of Christ now is defined as, verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the holy, the universal church is composed of many people from different races, like Jews or Greeks, and classes like slaves or free. It is united by the one Holy Spirit who baptized, in other words, immersed all and indwells in the heart of all as members. So the universal church is really a collection of all the born-again Christians who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in their heart. It's just a collection of these people. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> it's united, and it's diverse. Okay. All the born-again Christians have been spiritually baptized. I underline those uh, past tense verbs. We were all baptized into one body. Okay, So all the born-again Christians have been spiritually baptized. Okay? There is no need of a second baptism for salvation. There may be a need of being filled with the Holy Spirit or kind of a renewal uh, or receiving new spiritual gifts for service, but it is not for salvation. Salvation is done once when the Holy Spirit regenerates. That means giving birth of your spirit. It was dead, now it was alive. Okay, It has no relationship to God, now the Holy Spirit dwells within. That moment, you become a member of the universal church. Okay, And all of these people have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are immersed in the sea of all believers who have the same Holy Spirit. Okay? The body of Christ is the universal or spiritual or invisible church. It listens to the head of, um, to his head, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the body is one, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not as uh, a part of the body, it is not for this reason any uh, the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the um, he hearing be? If the whole were hearing, that would be the sense, where would be the sense of smell be? A physical body is composed of many members that serve one another. Each is a part of the whole. Okay? The spiritual body of Christ is similar. The diversity of the spiritual gifts reflect the complexity of the total function of one body. The whole body cannot all be eyes or ears, right? Then you're not a body, you're just an eye or an ear, right? We need all of the members, all of the faculties to function together. Uh, continue in the oneness of the body, verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, uh, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. God designed and placed believers with different spiritual gifts according to his omniscience and goodness. 
We are not all the same. That's why we need each other. Okay. The body of Christ is inherently composed of different members, each with its own gift and function, but none independent of another. So this tells us that, that we should not demand, desire, even think about everybody having the same kind of spiritual gift. We are not designed that way. We're not all the same. That's a good thing. Okay. And some organ or member may seem to be more important than others. You know, some people think eye may be most important, or ear, or, or the mouth, or the head, whatever. So some may seem to be more important than others, but no one can live or function well without the others. Okay. <clears throat> now, he's talking about unity uh, by caring for the least. Verse 22. On the contrary, it is much sure that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable on uh, these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less uh, presentable members become much more presentable, whether, uh, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. Once you're a Christian, you have received the love. Now you're supposed to love God and love others, right? So what is love? To love is not an emotional attachment or not just that. It is to help, right? To love is to satisfy others' needs that you can satisfy, okay? And uh, usually, hopefully, not for self-benefit, okay? So... If that is your mission, to love and to help, shouldn't God give you people who need help? Right? And it's for whose benefit that God provides people who need help to the benefit of those who can help. Okay, think about it. So, um, the seemingly weaker or less presentable members of the body need to be taken care of and given abundant honor because it is necessary for maintaining the whole body function properly. The more presentable members of the body do not need it. Okay. Do I need another degree or another title or something? It don't mean anything to me. I've got plenty of them already, right? So, but, but for people who have, you know, less... Uh, such thing, but they learn something, you give them an honor, you know, sometimes a certificate, maybe not, but just a recognition of progress, wouldn't that mean more to them, right? There is economically something is called reduced, what, um, uh, economically, you know, people who have more, you give them more, it, it has less efficiency, right? Less effect, importance. Anyway, forgot. Took economics, took macroeconomics, diminished return. Thank you. Yeah. Those knowledge passed through me now. <laughs> economics. <laughs> Once I wrote papers that published in Chinese Economic Daily. You know, it's not I'm not knowledgeable, but they are all not important. Not important for me, so they passed through. Okay. So, but 
the, the principle of diminished return, that applies here. Okay. So give care and honor to, to those uh, to whom it matters most. That's the way to keep the body united. And it actually for the benefit for those who help others because they exercise that Christian life. Okay. And uh, uh, now he's saying we should think and act as a part of the whole. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So in a physical body, even if the more presentable members like the eye or mouth are uh, fine, but when the less presentable members like the hands or feet are hurting, the body cannot function properly or enjoy life. Okay. Similarly, in a spiritual body of Christ, when one member hurts, the whole body uh, suffers. When the mem one member, especially of the less presentable ones, is honored, that means showing spiritual progress, the whole body rejoices. And he tells us now that even though we need to care about least and we think about equality, um, all gifts are important, but he says there are levels of importance of gifts, and we should desire the greater gifts. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, help, administration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of the healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? but earnestly desire the greater gifts. So Paul here gives a list. It is the only list of spiritual gifts among many in the New Testament. It's the only list that have spiritual gifts and offices with levels of greatness and importance. He says, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. And the rest of them, he didn't give a number, but I think it's meant that the sequence represents importance. Okay, This is the only list with a sequence. Uh, representing importance. And he's telling us that we cannot all have the same gift. All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not miracle works, are they? So, in other words, we do not have the same spiritual gift. And that's for our good, because we can serve with one another. Okay. Otherwise, if we, all our mouth is just a bunch of mouth wa walking around, <laughs> well, but we cannot walk around because it doesn't have feet, right? So, you know, we have to have the diversity okay, to serve one another. We cannot have all the same gifts, but we ought to desire the greater gifts. So what are the greater gifts? Okay. So here is a chart that I put together all the lists of the uh, spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them. Oh, good number. Okay. And, uh, and I put them in the sequence of the time when the books were written. Okay? At the bottom, you can see the time. Okay? First Peter, the earliest, AD 44. Uh, First Timothy, the latest, AD 65. And for two of them, you see, they only have two kinds. And they are the same. Right? So uh, I found out all of these can be divided into seven kinds or seven types. Okay? And... Uh, um, the first and the last book mention only the two in the middle. Okay, one is speaking, and the other is 
serving. Well, the overseers are the bishops, pastors, and elders. They do the speaking. And the deacons, they do the serving. So these two, they, they, they uh, agree with each other. So what are the two most fundamental and necessary and everlasting gifts in the church? Speaking and serving. Okay. The mouth and the hand, basically. Okay. Uh, and uh, what are others? Well, in the middle, it mushroomed to many. Okay. And then we have... Um, um, the seven kinds, the first kind is called, I call it the founding gifts, uh, because apostles are founders of the church, right? And the evangelists who preach the gospel and then, well, they, they found the church, right? So these are all founding gifts. They are trailblazers. They go where no one have been, okay? That's uh, the founding gifts. And most people are not that type. We follow. Okay, and then the second kind are the I, I call it receiving gifts. They they're kind of like the antenna and receive messages and gifts from God. So prophets to do prophecy. Okay, they receive spiritual message from God and they tell others. Right, and uh, uh, and also the um, um, those who who understand mystery and revelation. That's receiving from God. The understanding. Okay. For example, Old Testament. In Old Testament, the ministry to the Gentiles it was kind of hidden, right? Even though it was there, you know, for for Abraham, God promised him three things, right? A land, a nation, and a blessing. What is the ultimate blessing? That all nations will be blessed from this one seed of Abraham, right? So the Gentile ministry was meant, but it was not emphasized, and it was Paul who gave us the the explanation of this mystery that the Gentiles and the Jews will be on equal ground before Christ Jesus in the kingdom of God. Okay, so that is an Old Testament mystery explained. And how did he know that? He was taken to the third heaven, right? So he received from the Lord. So these are the gifts of receiving. And uh, I would say distinguishing spirits it works together with the prophesying. They are receiving from God. Okay, he is speaking from the Holy Spirit, not from the evil spirit, etc. And psalms, that I believe is the musicians, people who write hymns, who write music, they are receivers from God about the, the ethereal, the, 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 uh, the beautiful side of the ministry. Okay? And just think about it. The hymn writers, a lot of them go through a lot of trouble in life so that they can write this one great hymn, like, like uh, all, well, It Is Well With My Soul, remember? <laughs> that guy lost his whole family, almost whole family, before he could write this one eternal good song. Okay, so these people, the hymn writers, the songwriters, musicians, they are receivers from God. Amen. And then there are teachers, those who receive know, but they also they can transfer knowledge. Okay, to teach, you need to know what people can take. Right, you 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 cannot give a a baby in uh, I mean gave an infant adult foot right so you, you have to know the, the the human nature and know the proceed procedures of teaching so you can pass on the knowledge that you have received so that's the teaching job the word of this uh, the speaking is one of those word of wisdom word of knowledge are those and uh, and to exhort uh, to pastor uh, they, they are like that 
So, and then you have overseer and elders. They are seasoned men who will rule the church because they have experience in how to rule their household and uh, in life, dealing with life. So they might know how to deal with the church. And where do they get their wisdom? Well, they have uh, received from God. And what is their job as an elder? One of the things is you can teach. Not necessarily preach publicly, but teach individually. Discipleship, right? So this is passing on. And then faith. Faith is the gift that's in the center of the seven kinds. Faith is the one who trusts in God and uh, have the leadership, provides the direction of leadership. And then you have the miracle workers, uh, and including the healing. Okay? And uh, that's applying the faith. And then you have the serving ones that include the help, administrating, and some is giving, giving possession. You know, the gift of giving is a serving gift. You, you, God gives you money, and you know where is the best place to give. You know, that is a service. And uh, uh, there are those who even give their own body. That would be martyrdom. Okay, and those are all service. Okay, um, and show mercy. Those who care for the for the least and so on. And uh, the sign gifts is the last one, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. Okay? It's just being a sign. God make you a sign to let somebody see uh, something. Sign gifts, signs are short-term miracles okay, that will be realized. Then you uh, people will know this thing is from God. Isaiah and his two sons, they have four names. Isaiah means the Lord saves. The same as Jesus. Uh, his son, Shiar, uh, uh, Shiar it means the remnant shall return. Okay? And his third son is, has two names. Uh, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, the longest biblical name. It means judgment is near. And then he also has another name, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So he says, I and my sons are the signs of God to Israel. So God spoke to Israel at his time through these four names of the three people that um, judgment is near, but God will preserve a remnant. Okay? And the remnant, even if they are exiled, they will return because the Lord saves. See? And uh, those signs were realized pretty soon in their lifetime. So that's what sign gift is. Sign is a short-term miracle to lead people to believe God is real. Okay. And that's the least important of all seven gifts. Okay. Um, so once we see this, should we um, see be desiring just the, the more miraculous part, which are actually the lower part? Or should we desire the, the higher part? What's the highest part we can do? I mean, not everybody is a founding, uh, you know, um, servant of God. Apostles, only a few, right? What are the higher ones? They are receiving from God and teaching on behalf of God. Okay. So prophesying and teaching are the higher gifts that we should desire. And everybody could, could achieve because as you study, as you live, holy life, and as you try to help others to grow, you will gradually become the receiver of God's message and the teacher of God's message. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this very important chapter, this important book on the important topic of 
sanctification. And then the issue taught today is very relevant to us uh, because the church is now divided and that we don't have peace between those who have different gifts. We pray that you bring this peace with understanding and uh, with obedience so that the whole church will function properly together, exalting the name of Jesus Christ and uh, transmitting the message of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? We've been singing through the hymn, How Great Thou Art, during our service, and we'll sing the fourth verse at this time. But in the spirit of uh, recognizing a person at, the, at an appropriate time, let me thank our brother Harold Green, who's seated here to my left, for requesting this hymn. Uh, it's a wonderful hymn, and I trust that it will have blessed you today. We'll sing the fourth verse, How Great Thou Art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? And I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim. My God, how great Thou art! And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Christ and the Father of the Holy Spirit be with us, develop us to discover our um, spiritual gifts and use them for the common good, the, uh, exalting Jesus Christ and leading others to faith and love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>